Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter for the Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you after a Celtics 132 125 victory over the Toronto Raptors. They are on a four game winning streak headed into the All Star break. Everything is uh, coming up, Millhouse. Jay, I know you don't get that reference, but it, I, it's a positive thing for the Celtics. What do you think has been the biggest thing, the thing that's most responsible for this uh, turnaround in this four-game win streak? I think the they've just stayed with it. Like, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that's why we come to you, Jay. That, that's, that's, that's what Brad Stevens keeps talking about and preaching, and I think that that's part of it. Look – they, for a long time, had one of the worst fourth quarter net ratings in the league. During these past four games, they pulled one out against Indiana after letting their lead fall to one. They pulled one out against Washington after falling behind by eight late in that one. And these haven't been blowout games. They've they've stayed with it. I think Kemba Walker playing much better has had a lot to do with it. The bench playing much better has had a lot to do with it. Robert Williams keeps forcing his way into bigger minutes. That's a big deal. I think probably the most promising thing about this four-game winning streak is that it didn't take Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown playing out of their asses to do it. It's it's kind of been a team effort with a lot of guys chipping in, and tonight it was Grant Williams' turn and Jeff Teague's turn. Teague has been a lot better lately, so things are trending in the right direction a little bit. Marcus Smart <laughs> will be healthy soon. Everything's coming up Millhouse. I like you buying in on the reference. First, you said it's just everyone staying together, and then you listed about 17 reasons uh, why they're playing better. I think one of the reasons, it's interesting that like Jason Tatum, I thought he was excellent tonight, uh, and especially passing and distributing the ball, and then he just made some ridiculous shots late. But you're right, neither him or Grant, or I mean, Jalen have been um, great over these last four games. But uh, Danger Cart made an interesting point after the game. Um Tatum over these last four has played 38 minutes, 39 minutes, 40 minutes, and then 37 minutes. Is this just a case of the Celtics play, like Brad so desperate for a win uh, that he's just playing his better players for more and like got better results? I think that's part of it. Um, you could tell he was urgent because 
he threw the Kaizen shit out the window and was like, we need these fucking wins now, guys. So you knew he was urgent. Um, he tends to give his better players more minutes in those situations. And I think part of it is they're shorthanded. Um, Marcus Smart still still not back. Aaron Neesmith got pulled out of the rotation. So that's been a development the last four games. Do we have any explanation for that? The guy goes from playing 20 minutes a game to getting no time whatsoever. And no, we just, I blame you. You're part of the media and no one's asked Brad why that happened. Well, (laughs) he's talked a number of times about how he's wanted more ball handling and playmaking. And Aaron Neesmith is not a ball handler or a playmaker. And so those minutes have gone to Jeff Teague. He's he's played really well over the last five games. He's averaging more than 10 points a game during that streak. Efficiency has gone way up. He's actually making shots inside the three-point arc, which is cool. The float, float game has come back. He's he's looked more more confident. Um, certainly been been much, much better. And, and that's a big deal for them, I think, because they do need as much playmaking as they can get. And if Jeff Teague can be at least okay for them, then, then that's helpful during the stretches when you don't have at least two of Kemba, Tatum, and Brown on the court. Yeah, I think it's interesting how Brad's adjusted his lineups, at least um, over the last four games. I think we've seen a lot more Peyton Pritchard, a lot more Jeff Teague in those moments, as you mentioned. And we also saw a willingness to kind of abandon the two-big lineup with, I think, uh, Rob Williams has kind of played himself into a bigger role and they're just like, you need Rob Williams on the court, whether it was his, his lobs in the Clippers games or just his lobs over the past week. Tonight we saw a different wrinkle that I thought was interesting with Daniel Tice, I think, only playing seven minutes and not playing at all in the second half. Not at all because of an injury, just because Brad said you can't keep playing the double bigs, especially against a pretty small Raptors team. Uh, but decided to just not go with Tice. And it's an interesting adjustment. I hope it's something that kind of keeps going in the second half of the season. You don't have to start two bigs. You could do something else. But clearly Brad is like, we needed those wins. And I just thought that was an interesting move to just, you know what, we're not like, Rob is that important and we're just not going to go with Tice uh, at all in the second half. Yeah, and I think that's something to watch. After the All-Star break, Marcus Smart's going to be back. They're not going to be starting double bigs anymore. The The minutes at the center position for those three guys are going to be more limited. And I don't think Brad will pick the same guy every night. I think sometimes he'll lean on Tice. Sometimes he'll lean on Robert Williams. Sometimes it'll be Thompson, depending on matchups, depending on who's playing well. Lately, though, Robert Williams has just been trending toward more and more of a role. And that's been a pattern lately and he hasn't done anything to kind of quell that momentum. He's, he's just keeps getting more focused. That one near block he had that ended up oh. in foul was one of the most outrageous plays you will ever see. He jumped up on the wrong, like on one side of the hoop and tried to block it with his right. And then leaned over and almost blocked it with the left did block it with the left on the other side of the hoop, even though he was just standing in the same place, he was levitating. I don't know how that happened. Scal, I just almost lost it on the broadcast. (laughs) I enjoyed that. But Robert Williams, he just keeps doing more and more for the Celtics and helping his cause. Yeah, he's amazing. He had a, I think it was an actual block a couple games ago where he just 
he was in the air for what felt like five seconds and got it on the come down. He's just been very impressive. He had the nice block into transition dunk. Uh, I thought he was great tonight. The thing that is kind of, I don't know that if it's uh, a red flag, but something to just keep aware of, the Celtics defense, even though that they've won these last four games, has not been great. Uh, we've, like the Wizards game, they gave up 46 points to Bradley Beal. Tonight, they gave up 21 threes to the Raptors, who had just not stopped making threes. It was insane. Chris Boucher, just with the weirdest behind his head, the skinny man, uh, I don't know what you call that shot, but their defense is not really... Uh, the skinny man, that was a horrible, horrible... Yeah, no, I had I, I completely lost words trying you to describe... You should feel shame. I do, and it's kind of like doubling now that you're like really focusing on the moment right now. And so I'm going to try and get this back to talking about the Celtics defense still hasn't been great. And is that just something that you think is gonna, is naturally going to happen until Marcus Smart comes back? Like what can they do to slow these guys down? Because it feels like despite the winning streak, this team is still not playing like excellent basketball. Yeah, and I, I felt like – Today, like Jalen Brown said today that he had a shitty, shitty game. Um, and then, you know, I felt like the second half, they were just a lot sharper. The first half was they were just trying to outscore him. It, it felt like, uh, you know, with everybody that was out on the Raptors, the Celtics were kind of taking it easy. Second half, I, I thought that was Jason Tatum's the best basketball, two-way basketball he's played in a while. And I think – when he's playing defense at such a high level, it it changes things for them. And I felt like he was at that high level most of the year last year and hasn't always been that sharp this season. And and maybe that's just my vantage point. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but he it definitely felt like today he was more locked in. And, and those guys after Norm Powell had 21 points in the first half, they did a much better job containing him. They did a much better job containing the Raptors after after halftime. I mean, Kyle Lowry still ended up with 19 assists, which is kind of wild. It felt like the Raptors could get a lot of open threes, but they still knocked down 21 of, and shot 50. I think the Celtics were kind of okay with Stanley Johnson taking as many threes as he did and probably Chris Boucher taking as many threes as he did, and Terrence Davis. Basically, I think the Celtics will live with those shots a lot of the time. Um, and I think you're with Jeff Teague minutes, you're not necessarily going to get that much better um, defense. But I thought the Celtics did a, like a, a just a better job in terms of intensity. And then it just felt like they were more connected on the offensive end. In the first half, they had a lot of kind of bad turnovers, and uh, they really seemed to. Yeah, man, some of those passes were just embarrassing six just turnovers in the first corner directly into opponents arms yeah but through one shimmy through one and it was like what the hell are you guys doing now what do you make speaking of kemba of his i i guess i don't want to say resurgence because he only had, like had 15 points but he also had six assists tonight in the past couple of games before this he had i think three or four games in a row with 20 uh points and six assists is he back? Are we are we officially declaring as a podcast Kemba Walker to be back? I don't know if back is the right word because So no, we are not officially No, so declaring I, I, as a I looked I looked I looked back at his box, his game log for last year just to kind of compare where he was. 
in the beginning of last year, he was regularly scoring 30 points or more. Like he was kind of king of quiet 30 point games, where it's just like get into the line 11 to 12 times. And just you'd look down at the boxer and go, oh, Kemba had 30 tonight. That does not happen anymore. And so I, I know his role is a little different now because Tatum and Brown have just emerged the way that they have. And, and so he's not going to be their primary threat like he was then. But I, I don't know if the word back is right. Uh, better is just he's been very good. And, and that means a lot for the Celtics. That means a whole lot because for a while he was a high usage guy who was inefficient. And and he wasn't scoring inside the arc and he wasn't putting as much pressure on the defense. And they just look different. They they come to life when Kemba's playing well. You know, I, I I think Tatum and Brown can do their own thing and and they can they can do it very well and they're great scorers. But I feel like the the offense looks its best when Kemba is really humming. And I, I, I feel like the last four games, the last ten games really, he's been closer to that. And and it 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 really helps the Celtics when when Kemba's in control of a game and when Kemba's doing all the, you know, stop and pop threes. It just kind of – it's really tough to guard them when Kemba's doing all of that. Yeah, as good as Jason Tatum has been passing this year and as good as much of a leap as Jalen Brown has made in kind of the playmaking department, Kemba Walker is really the only true playmaker on the roster right now. Uh, Jeff Teague does not really strike me as that guy. Peyton Pritchard has shown flashes, but – Kemba, just in terms of putting guys in the right position and um, kind of just his connection with Daniel Tice is just the like best evidence of uh, his playmaking. And I just think the offense is that much better when he's on the court. I think it's interesting just how much like better the energy feels. There was so much emphasis, at least in the post game, put on um, the Atlanta game and how badly the team felt about themselves after the Atlanta game. And the quote was like, Kemba, no one goes to break until we go to break, which is uh, a nice turn of phrase from Kemba Walker. I also like Grant Williams saying that Kemba Walker is one of the greatest people he's ever met in his entire life. And so it's not too big a surprise that when Kemba's playing well, uh, more water is good for all the boats, I believe is the saying. Uh, What do you think about the bench? We got four guys in double figures tonight. Grant Williams coming out of nowhere, really like off a couple DNPs to drop 17 points. What can we expect from the bench moving forward? We talked about Jeff Teague earlier being a little bit more consistent. Time Lord's doing a lot more. Bench scoring is not something we we thought the Celtics would get consistently this year, but it seems to be something that's really helped them over the last four games. Yeah, and Grant's season has been kind of weird because if you told me at the beginning of the year – the Celtics would go into the all-star break and Grant would be shooting close to 45% from the three-point arc. I would have thought, okay, he's playing a huge role. He's probably helping them a whole lot. And instead, he's done that from the three-point arc and fallen out of the rotation and barely played. And I think it's more a factor of how the team is built than anything that, that Grant has done wrong. And I know he's had moments where he's fouled too much and moments where his defense hasn't been as sharp as it was last year. But I also feel like they just have a lot of centers. Robert Williams has improved a lot, so he needs to be on the court. And what they need, which is shooting and playmaking, isn't what he's going to provide. And so he's kind of been a victim of circumstance. I think Grant's still Grant's still a pretty good player. 
Grant is still a capable player, and I think if if he does continue to play, like he'll be fine. Um, but the rest of the bench, Brad has been adamant that they need to be aggressive, and that kind of backwards because they hadn't really tried to do much for a while, and you know, most of the time when when you have three guys who are so very clearly better at offense than everybody else on their team, then you want to you get, don't want Jeff Teague the ball. being aggressive. Yeah, yeah. but but it's kind of gone the other way where Jeff Teague has gotten more aggressive, and it's allowed him to get to the paint a little bit more. It's allowed him to clear a little more space for those floaters. It's allowed him to kind of find a rhythm these last five games, and I think he and Pritchard and Robert Williams, the way that they've been playing lately with Pritchard hitting threes and throwing alley-oops and Robert Williams kind of being everywhere. And I think Robert Williams, just the the threat that he puts on the rim is big for those guys. It, it helps open things up. You heard Scal say it a lot on the broadcast. Toronto just didn't want to leave Robert Williams. And, and that allows Jeff Teague more space. It allows Peyton Pritchard more space. And and so he he has become a, a real threat with his vertical spacing, as as you like to say at Packard. High ceilings. Yeah. So Pritchard, Pritchard to Rob, that that connection has been pretty good. And if T keeps playing like this, then it really, really helps the bench because he was not good for a while. Do you think Rob ever at this season, like in this season, plays his way into the starting lineup? Do you like because it feels like the Celtics are at their best with him uh, in the game? I don't know if he's there in terms of defensive versatility, but I think I was watching the Clippers game down the stretch and it was Kemba, Jason, Jalen, and I think Shemi was in uh, and then Rob. And I was just thinking, oh, you you put Marcus Smart in for Shemi here and this is the like the idea, ideal Celtics closing lineup. And so do you think Rob plays his way into kind of being that that fifth guy in that permanent starter position? Yeah. I, I think he certainly has a chance. And I don't think it'll be every night because Tice is Mr. Solid. Thompson gives them just kind of a different physicality. Um, but Robert Williams has been just really good lately. And he's he's become one of the better offensive rebounders in the league. He's, he's in, I think it's like top five in both block rate and steal rate if he qualified for the league leaderboard, which is just insane. Um, so, and he's, he's cut down on the mistakes, which is very, very big. Cause I think one of the reasons he didn't get key minutes before was because he was a liability to do something stupid. And, and that risk has kind of diminished a little bit. And you, you know, we go back, you can go back to the Indiana game. Remember when he screwed up the coverage on DeMontis Sabonis and Sabonis scored an and one and the Celtics lost. And Robert Williams was great that game, screwed up that one moment, and they lost. So I think he learned from that, though. And I think the more clutch minutes he plays, the more he realizes how much focus it takes. And I just think that the strides he's made on being better possession to possession are just very obvious. And and the the crazy shit he does has, has only grown the more he stays on the court. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting thing Brad said after the Clippers win was talking about that uh, Rob doesn't get enough credit for kind of his intensity and his will to win and his hustle plays, which when you think about it, that's 
it's like you give a lot of credit to his crazy athleticism, but the reason he's getting all of those steals and getting all those blocks is and like even just the second jump efforts have to be just putting the effort in. And he really he was pissed off at himself after that making that mistake uh, on that Sabonis play. And it's just something I hadn't really thought about before. And I thought it was cool that uh, Stevens gave him credit for that because it wasn't something necessarily that you think about with Robert Williams, but it's clearly been evident in kind of his growth this year is just his, his high effort plays. It's not just this like extremely bouncy dude who loves jumping. It, it's all of that on top of kind of the, the, the energy and effort, which um, I thought was an interesting point. Yeah. And I think, I mean, nobody talks about it, but just the way he's running into and out of screens is just at a different level. Like the pace he's playing with is just at a different level. I think back sometimes when I watch, you know, hit the way he's rolling to the hoop and rolling so hard and running into dribble handoffs. I remember the first summer league game he played, he was gassed after like two minutes. He was not even trying to set screens. It was, it was bad. And and he's just come a long, long way on all those detail stuff that that really, really matters. And it was even just one where he was running the break uh, on a fast break and he just sprinted to the rim and there was one defender and it opened up a wide open three for Peyton Pritchard. And it's just little things like that where it the effort is key and it's not something that necessarily gets noticed uh, in the box score. And he's putting up all the box score stuff. But I agree that he's just... I think Scal pointed out is just a, like holding the ball really far away from him on a dribble handoff, just giving Jalen more space. It does really feel like he's putting the little things together. Speaking of Peyton Pritchard, I just wanted to bring this up. It goes with a theme of being more aggressive, but has his like green light just or his uh, w- willingness to take ridiculously long threes gone up in the last four games, or am I just hallucinating? It feels like he's launching from anywhere. It definitely feels like that. Um and I think that's kind of what the Celtics want. When he came back from the injury, Brad went out of his way a few times to say that Pritchard has to shoot the ball more and Pritchard has to be less hesitant. And so that's been something they've stressed a lot with him. And it's not something I can recall Brad doing with many players. Like like maybe Kelly Olynyk was, was one of those guys. But like very rarely does Brad go out of his way in the press to say – we need this guy to shoot more. We need him to stop being hesitant. But, it, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that they want him to be shooting more shots and that they consider him a high-level shot maker. So that's he, he quickly earned the confidence, and, and the staff, they, they obviously want him shooting those shots. And he's got a willingness to take it, and they're going down for him right now. It's great to see him. He in, went a while uh, without making shots. Yeah, he's kind of he's had an interesting. He was definitely popped off to start the year. People were getting into the fast PP, and I think he kind of rode that reputation for a while, where he kind of struggled and didn't have make as big of an impact. But it seems like I guess all it takes is the bench being more aggressive, following the lead of uh, Jeff Teague. But it seems like the bench is doing uh, making a lot bigger of an impact. That being said, has your feeling on Jeff Teague changed at all, or are you just kind of waiting for him? to go back to what he was earlier in the season. I have zero expectations for Jeff Teague. And so everything he does positive is like a fun, pleasant surprise. Like, hey, Jeff Teague <laughs> is done doing things. And like, that's it. I, like, I'm always kind of surprised to see him in the game. I was surprised to see him in game, like down in clutch minutes. He does seem like, 
don't know. He still makes some like weird mistakes and some weird decisions on defense sometimes. But if his floater is dropping, like he's pretty, pretty solid player right now. I don't know. It's he's all right. I don't know. I don't know what like he's definitely not terrible or as terrible as he was. Like I think like a month ago, but you know what? They're winning basketball games, and so it's much easier to take a, like a kind of a positive outlook on the team when. I don't know. They really didn't deserve to win that, that Wizards game. And maybe we're feeling a lot different about this team. Um, I don't know. They gave up 21 threes tonight. I think Brad, it was funny to me that Brad was like desperate for a win. And he was like, clearly is desperate for a win playing Tatum close to 40 minutes a game. And then after this, he's just like, goes back to his can't get high. Can't get too high. Can't get too low. Like we're still not playing great. Like he goes right back into Kaizen warrior, but for a minute there, you saw him like really valuing those wins. And and you could tell Brad was feeling this win streak because he went back to the speech in the locker room after the Atlanta game and said, I, I, you could tell there are moments when you could tell just looking in their eyes that they're going to be ready. And, and that shows you what type <laughs> of team you have. And and so you know you know he's feeling this win streak more than he he lets on. He loves that his team responded when he. That's all they did. They came together. They came together because this team has heart right now, and it's not because there's a slippery floor and Bradley Beal fell down, uh, and that's why they have the win streak. It's because they came together and believed in each other. It's funny because he doesn't really tip tip like his feelings very often. But every once in a while, you, you got to read between the lines, and it's like, oh, Brad's happy. Brad, Brad could look in their eyes and knew they were going to be ready. <laughs> but he caught himself, too, because he also said, we're not playing too great right now. There's many ways we can improve. It's a key and part of the growth mindset. You can't get too high, can't get too low. What do low. you think Brad saw when he looked into Kyrie's eyes two years ago? Pure hatred. <laughs> Pure scorn. I Who looked into his man? eyes and knew we were totally fucked. And we were empty, and then we did not build any championship habits. And when he came to the bench after jumping out on Giannis three times in a row, I looked in his eyes and just knew that he was going to the uh, Brooklyn Nets that offseason. Special. Special. All right. The Celtics have won four games in a row, but they still have the biggest trade exception ever. They still have a roster that is – has a dearth of wings. That is a vocab word I learned uh, as a junior in uh, high school, and I'll continue using it. Not that many wings. Report came out today from Shams that really kind of came out of nowhere, but it was like basically breaking down uh, potential Celtics trade target or potential trade targets for the entire league. You had an article today on The Athletic talking about all of the different Celtics uh trade targets on the top of the list, which was shocking to me was Jeremy Grant from the Detroit Pistons. He just signed there. I don't really understand why the Pistons would want to trade him, but apparently the Celtics are interested in him. What was your reaction to hearing that news? I mean, obviously the Celtics would have to pay up to get him. The Pistons signed him for three years, $60 million. He's been probably better than everyone else expected. I don't know if exactly what they expected um, in a different role. He's very capable of playing a third, fourth fiddle role, even though I'm not sure that's what's I, 
what he wants to be he doing. Just turn down money from the Nuggets to play that exact role. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's very capable of it. And he he can play that and be an energy guy and be an he's a super athlete, super long, helps your defense, can guard some of the better players in the playoffs. And I think, you know, from the Celtics perspective, if you had him against Kevin Durant and James Harden, you'd feel a lot more comfortable about your the options that you had to to play against those guys. I mean, the Celtics. It would have to be a big offer. It would probably have to be multiple picks. It it would multiple first round picks. It would probably have to, you know, you'd probably have to include young talent. Um, but if you do, then you have Grant and Tatum and Brown, all guys twenty six and under, all wings that are very athletic and can do a lot of things, and could grow together. And so that that would be the the goal if they did that and i don't know i think that in the celtics front office they are they will have to decide whether they want to load up an offer that a team kind of can't refuse for a player like grant or or go after a player that the team would be more willing to to give up on that that wouldn't necessarily impact the the team as much now but would cost less and they'd still have you know, more picks and assets to to go after somebody else in the future. So there, there's going to be a balance that the Celtics have to strike, and and we'll see how aggressive they get at the trade deadline. Like a player like Grant, someone that young, someone who's versatile, someone who can score, uh, plays defense at a high level, is the exact type of player that you think the Celtics should target. For some reason, I'm just like not there. I know he's been very, very Why aren't good you there? Detail. I just, I just don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to process process this with you right now. I just don't believe in, I guess, his scoring or enough to be like, is he that third piece? Uh, but but let, let's say he's the fourth option on offense. And I know, but I'm talking plus. about this year, but like you signed him. He just signed a three-year deal. It's for the next three years. I'm assuming Kemba will probably deteriorate in kind of offensive ability. Is he that third piece you want to build around? I think he is very complimentary to the way Brad plays and um, just having versatile wings and people who can guard multiple positions. And I'm just trying to figure out why in my brain, I'm just like, Oh, Jeremy Grant, he's, he's just, he's not worth that much money. Or it's like, cause that's the other thing is what you're talking about. You'd have to give up a lot like what's the package to get Jeremy Grant? Are you like, is it three first round picks? Is it, I have less problem giving up players right now. Cause I don't think there's a lot of young players who are proven on the Celtics roster. I know Romeo um, is apparently coming back. And I think out of the younger guys uh, has the most upside. I, I don't know where time Lord fits into this discussion about trade uh, prospects, but what's the package. Are you really willing to kind of, give up your the next f- uh, three to five drafts for three years of Jeremy Grant? Three to five drafts? Well, you can't trade consecutive picks, so. Yeah, I three mean. Three picks. And that, that's what the Celtics will have to decide. And how how aggressive are they willing to be with their picks right now? And I, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know the answer to that. But, and then, then you, I mean, you look at, and maybe I'm just reading into things too much, but you listen to Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum talk about playing with each other in the All Star Game, and you look over at that 
situation in Washington. What if Brad Beal decides, you know, a year from now, whatever, that he wants to leave the Wizards and he tries to force his way to Boston? Yeah, but what happens when you just wasted all your first round picks on Jeremy Grant? But that—that's what I'm saying. Like that—that's the those are are the the decisions that the Celtics have to keep in mind, and the possibilities they have to keep in mind when they're weighing you know options at the deadline is that you know if if you go very hard at somebody now, then you won't have as much powder to go after these guys. The if if someone does try to force his way to their team, I and mean, we've seen how much power players have to force where they want to go. You know, the, the Nets did not have the best talent, young talent, to go after James Harden. But because he wanted to go there and because he was so willing to go there, they were comfortable loading up as many picks as possible because they knew that he wanted to be there. And, and so it just kind of emboldens you when a player wants to go to your your situation. So being a GM is tough. <laughs> there, there's a lot of shit to think about, a lot of options to weigh. And and I do think Grant would be like a very, very, very good fit for this team. Um, but he would be expensive and it would diminish the possibilities that Boston has later on. And that's the, I think it's more likely that they go out and get someone at this trade deadline who's kind of uh, a lower tier player or at least an expiring contract or someone who's just like uh, an older wing who can kind of fill in. But I think they like that flexibility of being able to go after a star and having all their kind of draft capital now to still do that. Because another star is always going to become available in this league. It seems like Bradley Beal um, is that other guy. And so... I think it's unlikely for them to use the kind of the big TPE at this year, uh, at least at this year's trade deadline. But it's interesting. Another guy that I just want to bring up before we get to the potable six pack, um, who was also mentioned in that Shams or Shams report is Vucevic uh, down in Orlando. I know you uh, and Jared and Josh Roberts from the athletic down in Orlando just released a kind of a conversation about what it would take to, Pry Vucevic from the Magic. For Vucevic, in my head, makes a little bit more sense in term, uh, not in terms of roster construction because the Celtics already have a bunch of bigs, but in terms of a guy who would fit in term uh, Brad Stevens' offense, a big who can pass from the elbows. It feels like that's the exact kind of uh, player Brad Stevens loves to put in his offense and pick and pop. He shoots a ton of threes now, and he does it really well. So he's just a threat and. And he makes good decisions. He's been one of the better center assist guys for the past four or five years. Um, so, yeah, he would definitely change things for the offense. I think with Vucevic, you know, he would obviously open up things for the offense. Like, he'd be such a good fit. And they could just run a lot of the same actions they ran for Al Horford that Brad Stevens was really good at getting Horford in space and letting other guys play off of Horford's threat. Like that opened up so many things for that that team back then, and that has just kind of been dormant in the Celtics' offense the last couple of years because they haven't had that type of player. With Vucevic, you know, he's another guy that would cost a lot, and he's another guy that uh, not another guy, but he. I think there are questions about his defense at the highest highest level of basketball. 
And I, I like, I don't think it he's be, got that Kelly Olynyk positional defense locked down, where he's not he's not an elite rim protector, but apparently he really knows the scheme pretty well. Yeah, and and like it would be, I, I think you could get away with it most of the time, but like if you're trying to win a championship, then it can be tough if if your center isn't a plus plus defender, and so that that would be the major concern there beyond the price. Um, again, he's a guy that's going to be tough to pry away. He's under contract for two more years beyond this one. And, but I do like when, when the prospect of Vucevic came up, um, I kind of thought back to the Toronto Raptors a few years ago and they had Serge Ibaka and they had Jonas Valanciunas. And both those guys are like good centers that you, you can, you would look at their roster and say, you know what? They don't necessarily need an upgrade. And I, I feel like that's the way the Celtics are right now. They have three totally fine centers. But getting Marcus Gasol like the Raptors did just opened things up. And his passing changed them. His ability to shoot threes changed them. Just the way that he guided that offense changed them and, and was very beneficial as they won a championship with him. And so sometimes – areas that aren't necessarily weaknesses can become strengths. And I think Vucevic would be that sort of guy where he would just kind of open up things that, that just don't exist for the Celtics right now. Yeah. He seems like the perfect fit on offense. I think the thing that makes me hesitant is that trading for Vucevic doesn't fix the kind of roster construction issue. doesn't fix the lack of depth on the wing. And so you're still going to have some of the similar issues that I think when I think we've seen it over the last four games and I think we'll see it get into the playoffs, the lack of wing depth is less of an issue when you're playing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown 40 minutes a game. You need less kind of coverage from the bench at those positions, but it really doesn't fix the roster construction things. And so I don't know. I would be surprised if Danny Ainge uh, kind of spent a lot of assets on Vucevic, but I do think he would be a good fit. And it'd be it'd be interesting to see this offense, um, especially just like a dynamic big man like that. Like Tristan Thompson, great on the offensive rebounds. Robert Williams, vertical spacing. Tice is just a very solid player, but he's not dominant. I think Vucevic would just like take the offense to a new level. The thing that's like the the defense just hasn't been um, great this year, and so I don't know how much of that is just Marcus Smart's absence, but you would think that. I don't know. I would be so, somewhat hesitant to trade for a guy who might not be in your in your crunch like five like guys down the stretch just because he's he's kind of a de- I don't know if he's a defensive liability, but he's certainly someone you feel like they would like in the playoffs. People, teams would target in the pick and roll. Yeah, and that's that's tough too, especially because like Kemba takes a lot of charges and Kemba tries hard, but he's another target for teams in the playoffs. So it's tough to have two guys that were like teams can pick on in your in your closing five yeah and that's that's the problem with trying to build a team i think is like especially when you get to the level the celtics are where they've reached the eastern conference finals three of the last four years you're not necessarily thinking how much is this guy going to help us night in night out it's also how much is he going to help us get to the next level and and win the east and win you know a final series so it's there are questions about Vooch, but Vooch? 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 Vooch. Vooch. 
<laughs> All right. That's, I think it's a good time to head towards wrapping up. Jay King, what are you sipping on right now? A little Santilli. little the 87 New England double IPA. That's the New England double IPA from our friends at Night Shift. And we are about to go to the potable six-pack brought to you by the Santilli IPA. Oh, I didn't even know they were sponsoring us tonight. Shout out to Santilli. Well, shout out to Night Shift. This is the 87 that you're drinking, but the Santilli is the IPA. It's a great, super crisp grapefruit and pine flavors. It's made locally on Santilli Highway over in Everett. Night Shift Long Long Wharf, right by the Garden, a great place to go to game uh, before and after Celtics games. When? I think later this month, some fans will be uh, able to go back. So go head over to Night Shift Long Wharf. Get a Santilli. Tell them that anything is potable sent us. Actually, when you step in the doors, just scream, anything is potable! And they'll give you a Santilli. Maybe. I don't know if that's the fact. But <laughs> if you can't make it to a Long Wharf and you want some Santilli, you want some Night Shift for yourself, um, they sell it all over the East Coast. And so go to nsbeer.co slash beerfinder. You plug in your zip code and you tell you a store nearby that carries it. If you're in the Boston area, you can go to that same website, nsbeer.co slash beerfinder, and they will deliver it to you to your front door. Our friends at Night Shift just hooking it up. Fantastic beer. Me and Jay enjoy it all the time, and you will enjoy it too. Yeah, now, Jay. I was drinking it. I didn't even know they were sponsoring it. I know. See, it's, it's just, that's how much I'm a supporter. We, we support Night Shift, and they support us. Jay, potable six-pack. I got something I want to pick for the first pick. Um, but I'm, I will defer to you because I don't think you're going to pick the same the same thing as me. I'm going Robert Williams floating in the air and almost having what one of our listeners called the Michael Jordan <laughs> hand switch of of blocks. That's that was almost one of the best blocks I've ever seen. It was incredible. He he floated and then he changed hands and then he reached from like 20 feet away and still. Still almost blocked it. So I, I that has to be my number one pick. All right. That is fair. And I think if we were doing a, a potable six-pack just for this game, that's the runaway number one pick. But to me, the potable six-pack is universal. And so anything that happens in the NBA is fair game. And it was the all-star draft tonight. And the Utah Jazz players got picked last Donovan Mitchell got like DeMontis Sabonis Vucevic got picked over Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and LeBron James talking about it. It just says like, yeah, we like, we never played with the jazz growing up. We like just absolutely disrespecting the entire jazz franchise. And for anyone who's listening on our jazz uh, post game podcast, I hate the jazz. I've got a lot of hate for the jazz in my heart. And so seeing this tonight was just, it was beautiful. That's fantastic stuff. I thought it was this ultimate form of disrespect to the entire city of Salt Lake. I also love that LeBron did that and said that, even though he knows he could meet the Jazz in the playoffs. I, I kind of no, need that. Zero, zero scared. Like, he's just not scared at all of the Utah Jazz. Doesn't care even a little bit that they exist. Never mind that. that Doesn't want any of either of them on his team. Had to just... Did he he had to accept just Rudy Gobert as the final pick? Like he wanted nothing to do with uh, Stifle Tower. Yeah, and it was. I mean, Rudy is not an All Star game player. He scored twenty one points in the last All Star game. I th- I mean, people are impressed by that. 
fine, but he's not an all-star game player. Donovan Mitchell is kind of an all-star game player. That's what one I was surprised by. Where yeah, they're like, like you really want Rudy DeMontis Lass- Sabonis on your team over Donovan Mitchell? And that one was disrespectful. Picking Rudy last is kind of normal. Like Rudy, Sabonis, and probably Julius Randle. Um, all those bigs. Who needs a big in the all-star game unless you're like Anthony Davis or something? It, it Yeah, like I don't know. I think we should abolish bigs from the all-star game. Yeah, like, no one's Joel really Embiid tuning in. For, no, I for, guess I guess we should just abolish shitty bigs, mid mid mids bigs. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, my second pick, I'm going to continue with the All Star theme. Um, it's cool. I just think that how uh, excited Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal are to play on the same team, and then I also thought it was uh, awesome how. Jalen Brown was like very excited to play against Jason Tatum, and Jason Tatum paid no no attention to being on the opposite team of against Jalen Brown. It just shows you one guy going to his first All Star game, a little good guy with a, a bit of higher status. Yeah, yeah, Tatum did not lean into that one. I think Jalen was just having fun, like, oh yeah, I can't wait to play against him. It'll be cool. And Tatum was like, yeah, let's just tone it down, guys. I'm playing on Brad Beal's team. That's what I care about. <laughs> Going to do some recruiting uh, to Boston for Brad Beal. All-star um, games are magical times. Isaiah Thomas, I'm pretty sure, recruited Al Horford uh, when they made the all-star game. It's a time for star players to connect and kind of make some connections. So maybe the Olympics didn't happen this year. This is the big time for uh, for recruiting free agents. So I like the fact Tatum and Beal are on the same team. Maybe they get a feeling together. And I like the seed that you planted earlier in the episode as he's the next star on the trading block. Yeah, I, I actually like this. It's, it's just something that's that's there. You know, you don't you can read read the read the tea leaves a little bit. And those guys have a lot of respect for each other. Brad Beal has stressed that he wants to stay in Washington, but I'm not convinced that he will stay there forever. Um what am I going to go with? What am I going to go with? You can I'm, also go back to the Clippers game. This is over a two-game period. Oh, oh, yes. The the pass that Jason Tatum threw, like the lefty pass that he threw miles above Ojale's head in the Clippers game. <laughs> and then, I thought you were about to praise Jason Tatum and all his one-handed passing no, skills, but no. Evan, Evan Turner, his reaction on the bench was just magical. The pass was like just miles high, and Evan Turner like like leaned over to pretend like he was going to catch it many rows deep on the bench, and then like I don't know whether he was doing a celebration or what. Like he just kind of went wild, <laughs> and I, I couldn't tell exactly what was going on, but I do know that Evan Turner on the Celtics bench is just a joy. I need him mic'd up. I need oh, some wow. sort of segment where we get assistant coach Evan Turner mic'd up because I would imagine that he is just a hoot. Uh, absolutely electric. Um, man, that would be fantastic. I would, pl- I would pay – What? how much would you pay per game to get just a live feed of Evan Turner? I would pay five, dollars $5, $10 a game. Yeah, I'd pay $10 if- a game to get a live feed of Evan Turner. If you guys didn't see that, please go to my Twitter page because I – I didn't see it the first time watching the game, and then 
when I rewatched, he was just so excited about the shittiest pass of all time. He just got so much joy out of it. <laughs> we well, got to awesome. get ET on the podcast. All the listeners out there, tweet at Evan Turner and tell him to come on anything is possible. Because uh, Joe Angus is right. There's been a lack of ET content this year, and we haven't been doing our part to get him out in the world. And so I need to talk to Evan Turner on this podcast. I think it would be an absolute delight. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, yeah, I'm gonna just go with Robert Williams in general. That's fair. You can you can do that a lot. He's, He's been like amazing. a five highlight a night guy now. It is it has been ridiculous, and the low lights are getting less and less. Every and the low lights, while, he throws the ball off Jason Tatum's head, and it's still awesome. <laughs> I don't know how awesome it was for Tatum, um, but it's it's fantastic. Oh, NBA Top Shot. NBA oh, top. Oh shot. my god, you don't want me to start talking about NBA. We got I, we got Josh asking us in the comments about NBA Top Shot. Packard <laughs> let, let him let him hear it. I do not own NBA Top Shot because I do not participate in late capitalistic scams that is creating false scarcity. It is utter nonsense. It is a highlight you can own. You can just watch online. Just because they tell you it's valuable doesn't mean there's value to it. Also, I just learned today that if, say, you flip it, everyone's like, oh, you're going to buy an NBA Top Shot and you can flip it. You can only withdraw from your account $1,000 every 30 days. So say you, like, got amazing, you you get your pack and you, you get a Zion highlight and you make $200,000. It's going to take you 200 months to draw that money out. It is a scam. NBA is just making a crazy amount of money off of it. It is utter nonsense. And people are like, oh, it's like art, like digital art. No, art is also a scam. It's stupid. It is dumb, and I refuse to participate in it. What is that uh, art behind you? Looks like um, there's a piece of art behind you. Not the Packard's Corner one, but... Uh, that right is something uh, my girlfriend painted on a wonderful paint night. and it, so, so is she a scam? Is she a scam artist? Am I putting this on? If, do people want to sell this? If people make me offers for this, there's no, no one's making prints of this. So there's no like value to having you this unique copy of art. I I think I mean, it, you just told your your girlfriend that that she is not valuable to you and that her painting is not valuable to you. I think she knows this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she's not a listener. Um, <laughs> any, anywho, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a Bitcoin guy. A, oh, uh, you're a big Bitcoin guy, are you? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, wow. I first have to say Chris Boucher has made it onto the list of enemies joining Tony Snell and Ish Smith. I just am frustrated by him. That's an honorable mention. But I'm going to finish it off with saying... Why is he... Oh, just because they killed the Celtics? Why is Tony Snell on that list? I just frustrate. I just hate Tony Snell. I just don't... I don't care for uh, Tony Snell... John wants three dollars for that art. John, you could Venmo me three dollars, and I will ship this uh, beautiful painting of a beautiful painting is a stretch. I will ship you this painting. <laughs> That's cold blooded, man. All right, for my final pick to wrap it up, Mook was back, and I just missed ISO Mook. He had a hell of a first half before getting concussion, and uh, part of this is just to say. I missed ISO Mook. I missed the character that is Mook. And I was trying to check up on him, and I realized that I was still blocked by Marcus Morris on Twitter. I don't know what I did, 
but I know I deserved it. And so part of this is just to give praise to Marcus Morris. Part of this is to apologize to Marcus Morris for whatever I did. But I just want to honor, use this space to honor Marcus Morris. And I think you can support that because I know you're a big Mook fan as well. Mook is shooting 46% from the three-point arc this year. Mook is just... Mook's the, the Clippers' best center. He He's had a hell of a year. That team was loaded. That Celtics team was loaded. Like, Mook, they Terry, had, Gordon Hayward, the both Jays. They had Tyler Hayward Irving, and Jalen coming off the bench. Aaron Baines and Al Horford. Like, that team was absolutely absurd. And the fact that they. Heist was just, a third string center. He didn't play at all. He, and they had, like, it was like perfect roster construction. It's just. Terry and Mook just wanted to to thrive, and now they found in new situations, and they're both thriving. Shout out to Terry Rozier too, scoring thirty points a night. That guy's amazing. Yeah, that that when you look back at that roster, it, those guys are still doing things. All of those guys are doing things. That shows you the power of Kyrie. Because I'm just going to blame it all on Kyrie and not on any other guys to tank that entire season. Because they all the other guys looked into Kyrie's eyes as just as the Celtics looked into Kemba's eyes after the Atlanta loss, and they just didn't see his willingness to come together. And so, I mean, 15 different guys, 15 different cabs after the game, you're never going to win a championship like that. If Brad could have looked into their eyes and found something, that team could have been could have been a contender. Brad looks into your eyes and either he sees championship habits or he doesn't. And when he <laughs> doesn't see it, I don't he doesn't know what to do. That's that's it. All right, we will be back I guess during the all-star break, we'll talk all about trade exceptions. Who knows? We'll probably do a mailbag or uh, whatever. Whatever you guys want us to do during the all-star break, we'll talk about it. Um, But thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, uh, please rate it five stars, subscribe, tell a friend, do all those things that podcast hosts tell you to do. And thank you for listening to this episode of Anything is Possible!